ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Dr. Neil Morgan, a professor and PetSmart Distinguished Chair of Marketing at Indiana University's Kelly School of Business. His current research projects focus on marketing performance assessment, the role of the CMO and marketing department, marketing's role in enhancing efficiency, and brand management and CRM capabilities. Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. This is going to be fun. I've interviewed previous guests about pieces of marketing performance assessment. These conversations have focused on what to measure, what the metrics might be telling us, and what it might mean in turn for how practitioners might want to manage what they do. What we haven't done is look at marketing performance assessment, the process itself. And your study set out to address three questions related to marketing performance assessment. What were those three questions? So the three big questions were essentially, what have we studied in the past and what do we know? Where do we need to go in terms of, of where we identify gaps in terms of existing knowledge? And then how do we get there? Which is, what do we need to change from a research perspective so that marketing academics are actually working on things that will inform some of these gaps that are particularly important, not just from an academic perspective, but, but really important to managers? Right. Let's break down each of these questions in turn. What do we know about marketing performance assessments, marketing accountability, and metrics? Let's take performance assessments first. There, are, there have not been that many studies. There have been a bunch of kind of conceptual, here's some ways of thinking about it. Relatively few, probably only four or five that matter, studies of uh, linking or, or characteristics of marketing performance assessment systems that are empirical, trying to figure out whether they make a difference or not. The big picture is marketing performance assessment systems do predict some of the outcomes that managers should care about. They particularly have been found to predict, for example, CEO confidence in the marketing function inside mm. the organization and, and also some objective outcomes in terms of firm performance outcomes all the way through to kind of stock price stuff. Mm. And so there's, there's pretty good indications that marketing performance assessment systems matter the pieces of, of the market performance assessment systems that matter, much less granularity of insight. A couple of things. Um, number one is one of the reasons that market performance assessment systems, and I'll use MPA just a shorthand if that's okay. Sure. Um, then the reason the MPA systems seem to make a difference is not just because it connects directly to, to performance outcomes, but because it impacts how others in the organization view marketing not just the CEO, but other functions that the, the, the marketing uh, organization interacts with, not least, of course, our friends in finance, who are the ones who kind of, you know, give us the money and count what we do with it. So there's an, there's an internal aspect to this. In, in terms of the, the characteristics of the metric systems, a few key takeaways, I think, much less about the number of metrics that you track in your MPA system. Mm. More metrics, not necessarily better. Mm. Little wrinkle on that. There's one piece of evidence that CEOs like more metrics versus fewer, <laughs> which is kind of consistent with my experience. Right. Um, you know, 
control freaks uh, for the most part, but not very predictive of objective outcomes like stock price or, or firm performance in the marketplace. Much more important, it seems, is the degree to which the metrics that are being tracked in the MPA system align with the marketing strategy of the organization at that point in time. Moving from strategy to tactics to metrics that align with those tactics, the alignment between the metrics and the strategy and the tactics seems to be the single biggest driver of whether or not an MPA system is actually really helpful. One final thing that that has also been found to be particularly predictive of performance outcomes associated with MPA systems is the degree to which the MPA system allows cause and effect relationships to be examined. And I don't mean between increases in advertising and increase in stock price. I mean within the MPA system. So if customer satisfaction goes up by in this quarter by two points, then we know that the sales in the following quarter are, more, are likely to go up by you know half of 1% or whatever it is. So those kinds of interconnections between the metrics in the MPA system that allow managers to kind of learn what works and what doesn't work in, in the given context, that also seems to be predictive of, of kind of useful outcomes. Right. Okay. If this is what we know, the next question was, what do we need to know? And you developed a five-step conceptual model of the process to help highlight what we need to understand, but is still unclear. And so let's, let's dive into those five steps. First, tracking. And this goes into which metrics, who measures them. It, it seems pretty straightforward. What would be the open items here? So the, the what is to be monitored is not as straightforward as it sounds. If you go back, <laughs> it, 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 it's strangely enough, right? So so if you go back to the, what I was just talking about in terms of the, the characteristics of MPA systems, then one of the leading predictors of, of its utility is the extent to which what you measure aligns with what you are trying to achieve. Mm. And, and what that means is every time you change strategy to any degree or you change in any significant way the kind of the mix of tactics that you use to try and execute that strategy, that means you're going to have to change the metrics that you track. Really? If you're changing your mix, you want to change your metrics, but aren't... aren't... Absolutely. So if you're adding a new channel or a new advertising medium, or right, is it, right then, then those are things that you were not previously tracking that you now need to track. If you're oh, going right. to be able to do any regular, if you're going to be able to do any uh, kind of analysis, you know, marketing mix models or any of that kind of good stuff, right? And, and so that sounds relatively straightforward, but what that means is... That, that every time you change your strategy or tactics, you need to change your metrics. And, and in practice, that doesn't seem to be how it works. Right? Well, no. It, it, also, you have a, a should, you should be tracking versus a can be tracking challenge. Right, exactly. So, so if you ask managers about what would you love to track, they'll give you a laundry list. What can you track is, is a whole different ballgame. <laughs> much and, shorter. And, and that, <laughs> a much, much shorter list. And that and gets you into things, data quality and, and the predictive validity of the measures that you use. So I'm working with lots of companies at the moment that are having, and this sounds like it should be an easy solve, but lots of companies at the moment that are having trouble figuring out how they should best measure brand equity. Right. And uh, to, so, so that they can um, calibrate the, the outcomes of their investments, not just in terms of short-term sales, but in terms of building the, the kind of the brand asset. And, and you know, it, it's frankly, it's all over the map in terms of how, how companies are approaching it. 
And, well, sure. And, you also have external vendors who may control the information. So there's a level of the opacity. So, so yes, vendors are a, an interesting world. And, and I categorize them in, in two varieties. Kind of one in terms of you know, traditional market research type companies, you know, the GFKs, the Millwood Browns or whatever that have their uh, proprietary approach to brand equity tracking, for example. But at least with those guys, they'll tell you what's built into their measure. They'll tell you why it's different and mm. they will collect data and you know, share the data with you. Where you get into more trouble is when we, we get into kind of a fang world where we're dealing with online platforms where they collect the data, they control the algorithms, they will sell you the output or give you the output in some cases, but usually sell you the output, but you'll never see the data. And, and well, never- right. And how much can you trust it? And they right. control what you can, how you can Absolutely. use it. Absolutely. And, and they control the algorithms and they're constantly updating the algorithms. And and I don't want to demonize the, the kind of the FANG platforms and, and vendors they have their own business models. They make money their own kind of way. But even above and beyond that, from a data quality perspective, you have to start worrying about things like you know fake websites and bots and all sorts of stuff that these vendors are not deliberately manipulating, but is very, very hard to police from a data quality perspective. Right. If you're doing programmatic and, yeah. and what's, what's it look like? So next yep. we move on to analysis, the who, what, how of what you've measured. Now here again, I'd like you to share with practitioners and with their bosses and colleagues in finance and strategy, why this isn't necessarily a straightforward thing. How does the variability of who, what, how change what you learn? So analysis runs the get, and, and you know, frankly, in most organizations, analysis in terms of uh, who does it is, is all over the place in terms of whether it gets done internally or whether it gets done externally, whether or not you're allowed to take data outside of the, the, the company and give it to a vendor in order to be able to do analysis or not. So those kinds of considerations, who is best placed to do this? It's it's not simply a kind of a, a, a cost-benefit trade-off, you know, make versus buy kind of a decision, because mm. there are all sorts of things in terms of privacy of data, for example, or commercial sensitivity, where you don't want to uh, allow data to go outside of the organization, those kinds of considerations. The second big part from this analysis question is, what do you want to get analyzed? In most organizations, runs the gamut from uh, simple uh, comparisons to last period on the same variable. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sales this period versus sales last period, um, all the way through to, you know, really, really complex attempts to get to causal modeling of huge data sets. And you go back to kind of a FANG provider world or companies that sell a significant amount of their output online, then you look at the data sets that these guys are compiling and and they're they're huge. And and just the kind of the, the IT horsepower and the intellectual horsepower in terms of the statistics in order to be able to analyze that. And there's a flip side to that, which is this kind of an assumption that the more technical and the more complex the analysis, the better. Yes. Uh, uh, Nothing could be kind of further from the truth. Oh, that's Uh, interesting. Well, it goes to your point about the CEOs wanting more data, but not only more data, they feel like, you know, if you if you so if you throw in some Greek letters and a your equations. It's got to right. be good. Um, right, right. And got to be worth paying more for from a vendor's perspective, right? Right. Uh, that's why we're all running around trying to hire data scientists. Yeah. And, and from an analysis perspective, one of the, the things that, that always kind of makes me smile is we're getting more and more complex trying to connect dots in, in increasingly large 
data sets, but we're not necessarily getting better at understanding why whatever dots are connected are connected. And, right. and, and to me, that's kind of, you know, the difference between data analysis and, and, and insights that you can generalize. Ah. You're a man after my own heart. I always think about that. This so what, now what? And a weather report is great for telling me what happened, but can you tell me how to dress for tomorrow? And more importantly, why you should dress that way. Well, right, exactly. That would be... That would right. be very helpful. Well, which which then gives you some kind of generalizability of learning, right? You don't have to go back and analyze the data set every single day in order to take an insight that may have a, a longer shelf life than the data set on which it was produced. I feel that what you've just said is going to be somewhat of a salt to, to all the marketers who got into marketing because they weren't mathematicians and they were creative and they wanted to be involved in sort of understanding human behavior and driving how people do things. And then all of a sudden they are frightened of the data scientists who are being brought in. And so understanding how these things fit together is important. Dissemination is the next part of your model. Yep. What are the decisions that practitioners need to consider during this step? And what are the impacts of those choices? You, you would like to think that everybody who could you know, usefully use some piece of uh, data from a marketing performance assessment system would get access to it. In, in practice, that turns out not to be the case. Hmm. Uh, lots of companies are worried about, you know, data, data sensitivity and confidentiality. And so that tends to, you know, one bucket of the ways in which access gets limited. The other is, you know, there are some MPA system designers that, that are, are worried about information overload. And if you push out a whole bunch of information to people on a regular basis, how much of it are they actually going to comprehend and, and kind of use, right? And, and right. so that, that there, there are practical reasons why you may not want to give every everything to everyone. The second kind of big thing is about the channels. How do you make it available to people? Increasingly, we're thinking that the, the kind of the best model for this is a, is a pull and a push. I mean, you, you put data somewhere where people who are interested in it can go access it, but they have to go find it versus that you put it into channels in which you, you know, kind of deliberately put it in front of people, even if they're not actively seeking it at a particular point in time. Thinking about what that might mean on the ground, this is about putting up dashboards so that people can look at the dashboards and structuring those dashboards so you don't have too much there, but... Right. And so, and, and you know, you bring up the dashboard question and, and dashboards is one kind of sub-area that have been looked at in, in multi-world assessment systems. Um uh, not a lot of evidence that they're terribly helpful. Um, uh, a lot of bad car drivers out there. Okay. So, so is that because the, the presentation, one of the things I found really interesting was how information is provided impacts how people understand the analysis and that the difference is large enough to change decisions. There's a whole science between, uh, there's a whole science behind how you present data that is outside of marketing, right? Nothing to do with marketing whatsoever, but there's, but, but there's a whole, a whole body of work in information sciences that shows pretty much conclusively that how you present data to people impacts how they perceive it, how they use it, all the way through to changing the kind of decisions that they may 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 make as a result of it. And that's and a human thing, right? This is just, this is humanity. I mean, right. I, I had and read around COVID safety measures that how people saw the data affected their behaviors. Absolutely. One of the, my observations as a result of doing this kind of work for the for the research paper is that we don't have a very good understanding of a user focused view of marketing performance assessment systems. Hmm. 
And when you so, say user, how are you de- defining user? Is the user the marketer? Is the user finance? Is the user the, the, the and, and And the answer is all of the above. Okay. It, it, I'm most interested in the marketers who are using it. Okay. But, but clearly it will have impact above and beyond that. What seems to be the case is that when we design marketing performance assessment systems and when we operate marketing performance assessment systems, we're really, really focused on trying to have the highest quality data and, and the most objectively accurate metrics and all of those good things. There's very little consideration of who's going to use these metrics and what they are going to use them for. And, Isn't that and, when you're defining the metrics up at the top? So in, that's about alignment with tactics and strategy. That's not <laughs> necessarily about alignment with who's going to use the information and what ah, are they going to use it for. Okay. And this all, always makes me kind of smile a little bit, right? We're marketers and we proselytize about having a consumer-centric view of the world. Well, inside of the organization, we need to have a marketer-centric view of marketing performance assessment systems. And and we simply don't have that at this point in time. We know very, very little about users of marketing performance assessment systems and and what affects how they use it and the way that they use it. Huh. Well, that's interesting. How And And a little bit scary. Well, when you look back at your earlier research, you know, that you had done around those metrics and the alignment, could you tease out I mean, because I imagine that some of them may not only have been about alignment, but also the marketer was was front and center and, and designed to be part of it versus not part of it. That is entirely possible. The, the data that we have on marketing performance assessment systems um, is cross-sectional survey data. Uh, and so really hard for us to make kind of causal inferences right. using that kind of data. And so whether or not some of what's getting captured is actually representative of a more user-focused MPA system, we don't know. I I think your intuition may well be correct. We've slid into the next thing, which is the receiver of evaluation. And they're a pretty Mm -hmm. key driver in linking marketing performance assessment. And what I found interesting in the paper was the discussion around comprehension and confidence. And then our earlier conversation about I'm a data scientist or I'm not a data scientist. Right. Right. As marketers, we're very, very comfortable thinking about the objective reality of what we deliver and consumer or customer perceptions of that objective reality being different. Mm. We don't use the same kind of conceptual lens when we're thinking about marketing performance assessment systems and marketing metrics, that there's a difference between the kind of the objective reality of the metric, how reliable it is, how accurate it is, what the data quality is, and the user perception of that metric. It just continues to strike me as strange that we're very comfortable thinking about the difference between objective and perceived views in an external perspective, but we don't bring that perspective when we're thinking about kind of internally. And so, for example, very little um, time, effort, and resources goes into trying to educate users of marketing performance assessment systems about the characteristics of the metrics. Why we measure it this way, where where the data comes from. This is the gold standard way of measuring this stuff. Almost, so if you want to think about it, direct education of, huh. of users about the metrics. You, you go really, look the con- at the, really the context, the right. context that goes into it. Exactly. Well, if you think about, you know, MPA systems, if you just look at a budget distribution, most of the money goes into collecting the data and to analyzing it. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. After that, you throw it into the system and you hope that people use it. Well, I think there's a big presumption that they will use it, that they'll understand what it means and that they'll be confident in using it. That's a huge assumption. And I think that this, you know, if there's a, a takeaway for listeners is to think about that. Absolutely. There are some companies that I've worked with where I've tried to get them to, to ring fence some of the budget that they spend on MPA systems and say, we're going to spend at least 10 or 15% of the budget helping users use the data as opposed to collecting the data and analyzing it. Huh. Right. They're fighting for every penny. They want all the pennies to go towards getting it because they... It's interesting. I suppose they have a huge faith in themselves and their ability to understand what they're collecting. But when push comes to shove and they're given it, how confident and comfortable are they with what they get? Right. And, and, and it's a two level thing. I mean, you know, objective or, or how well do they understand it objectively? Mm. Correctly interpret what they're being given. But, 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 <laughs> right. number two, right? but number two is how confident are they in their interpretation? Right. And also those things can flip. You can be very confident that you've got it right and you've got it wrong. (laughs) Welcome to the world of academic research. Yeah. So so then we slide into utility, which I keep bringing up again, being confused, like, why aren't we having more utility from the get go? And the consequence, what did you find around the utilization and the consequence of utilization of the utilization is not a yes, no variable. Right? It's not, do I use it or not? It's to what degree and for what purpose? Mm. And, and so you can think about, you know, is this, is this something that's helping me understand a phenomenon? Is it helping me to learn about what's going on that's different from last month in the marketplace? Or is this a, a very instrumental decision? How much do I tweak my advertising budget in one channel versus another? Right? Which is a very concrete resource allocation kind of a decision. So you've got this kind of distinction between conceptual use, about helping you understand, versus instrumental use, actually making a, a decision or taking an action. Now, also- I'm, I'm going to be troublesome again. Shouldn't this be part of what you start with? Absolutely. Have an intention going yeah. in? So, so you are not old enough to remember, but there. But when we teach MBA students about doing market research, there's a very famous HBR paper. It is about backward-looking market research, which is starting with a problem you're trying to solve and then trying to figure out what data you need in order to solve it. Exactly that same lens can be very usefully applied in a marketing performance assessment system mm-hmm. process. Right? Mm-hmm. User backwards. What are the decisions that users need to make? What are the things that we therefore need to track? What, what, what relationships do they need? Therefore, who needs to go get that? Who's going to do the analysis? And, and kind of a, a backward from a user-focused kind of an approach. Mm. I, I, just don't, I just don't see that in most organizations. Well, and that's fascinating. And I also think folded into it is the strategic pe- behavior of people who, yes, it's a marketing performance assessment. We're seeing how well these different tools are, how we're doing. But also you're measuring my CMO performance. And also I'm going to maybe make sure my numbers make me look pretty clever. And so you have self-presentation behaviors. Right. And, and this is, this is uh, it, it makes me smile a little bit because the, you know, the social psychologists have been studying accountability for 30 or 40 years. Marketing folks have been talking about accountability for 30 or 40 years, but have largely ignored what the social psychologists know. The assumption from a marketing perspective always is, you know, kind of more accountability is better. 
and and it's a, it, if you read the social psychology literature on accountability, and, and there's you know there's actually performance measurement literature outside of marketing. If if you look at what the the, the data actually tells us, it tells us there are downsides as well as upsides uh, in terms of accountability. It's a much more nuanced picture. And so one of the key things to think about is you think about marketers or employees or managers read signals into what's getting measured and how it's getting measured. They, right. view, they, right, they view that as a signal of what it is that uh, top management in, in the organization want. So they will infer what it is that they need to do in order to be able to deliver against those numbers. Now, whether that's the right thing or not, it's a whole different ballgame. It, right. Sw- right, it, it also switches their attention. There's a, a view of the world in management, which is called the attention-based view, which says, you know, attention is a, is a finite resource. And, and so if, if the marketing performance assessment system is, is saying these are the three metrics that matter over these timeframes, then, you know, guess what? Folks in the organization pay attention to those, but that means they don't pay attention to other things. And That's, right? it's, it's very efficient pursuit of that, which you've specified uh, to the detriment of those things that you didn't. Absolutely. And, and, but if you go back to one of the things that I said at the very beginning of this, most marketing performance assessment systems, and in fact, the metrics within them, outlive their usefulness. Huh. That's right? fascinating because you've, you've taken the learnings. You... Right. You out, you out the, 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 you, more of a case of if you're in an IT world, then you, the, you know, the concept of system heritage drag mm. is very common, right? So you mm-hmm. get, and, and, and it, it turns out that exactly the same thing is true from marketing performance assessment systems. They were designed initially for a given set of circumstances. Those circumstances change, but the MPA system does not change as frequently as, as the context or the strategy or the tactics that you'll So how often, you mentioned earlier at the top of our conversation, you're changing your strategy, you want to relook at the system. Is that really, is it linked to the strategy? Is it linked to, what is it linked to? It's it's linked to both the strategy and the means that you're going to use to try and execute the strategy. Because a lot of what you're actually tracking is about individual tactics as right. opposed to the overall strategy intended, that's intended to deliver. And so, you know, strategy may not change hugely. Right. Um, you know, it will change over time and evolve, but it may not change hugely kind of year to year. But But tactics almost always change year to year. Right. To some right. Degree. right. And, and, and so if you're knitting together the tactics and you're measuring them through your performance assessment, you want to step back and look at how this tapestry comes together. Absolutely. And so my my rule of thumb is you should be and, you know, it varies across industries. But if you're not reexamining how well you, the, the, the things that you track match the tactics that you're using at least every 12 months, then you, very rapidly your MPA system gets out of, gets out of whack. Well, and that is a great place to land. I think that a big takeaway for everybody is to think about every piece of their system and to be reevaluating it as they go every year, really looking at that, looking at that. Anything to add that everybody should remember? What gets measured gets done. So be really careful about what you measure. So smart. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.